0: So today I am reading from Matthew 9, uh, 9, 9, It's on 15, 13 in your pew Bible. It's the calling of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not for the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew does. He leaves behind a very lucrative and powerful and prestigious job. He was a tax collector. He is sitting in his tax booth as the sun comes up over the Sea of Galilee, watching the fishermen come in, empty their nets on shore, writing in his notepad, oh, Levi had a good catch, oh, so that he could tax off of their labor, so that he would know what to collect from them. Because Rome didn't really get their hands dirty collecting taxes. It wasn't efficient, They didn't know or understand the local economies. As the Roman Empire spread and grew, as it expanded into territories uh, where people spoke other languages, economies they did not fully understand, what they did is they had locals bid on how much money they could bring in to Rome. They would be experts in The local economies, they would know things Rome would never know about how much that blacksmith made or how much those fishermen brought in, how much the farmers collected year after year. And Rome found to maximize their profit, it was far better to get locals to use, maybe to sell their insider information to Rome. So Matthew is Jewish, but... He works for Rome. He is a spy. He's somebody that sees you and in his mind is doing a calculus of how much does he make? John works for two churches. He must do all right. I should find out more about what that is, that arrangement. He works for Rome. He makes his money off his own people. When people talk about sinners in the Gospels, Often the shorthand is tax collectors, prostitutes. Tax collectors are the worst. Not because they broke the law, but because they used the law to profit off their own people. They were more like the mob than the IRS, which some of you in April will say, what's the difference? But they use they are more like the mob in the sense that they paid off. They used the Roman armies, the, the infrastructure of Rome, to exploit, to take money from the people, to give the agreed-upon amount to Rome. And then whatever is left over, they get to keep. So when you look at somebody who lives in a big house, eats fine food, builds a nice sturdy wall around their home. And, you know, he got that house off the backs of his own people. He sold his birthright to get wealth. This is one of the worst crimes you can commit, to betray your own people for money, to live off the backs, the sweats of hardworking people for Rome. Many would look at a tax collector spit on the ground and say, I would rather die penniless than make money from Rome. Money, as Jesus said, is the root of all kinds of evil. So in this narrative, we have Matthew, the only friend you could have as a tax collector is other tax collectors. And Jesus, of all people, of all groups, is dining and eating with a group of tax collectors. Now, Jesus is getting a reputation. He's somewhat controversial. There are some who talk of his miracles, of his teaching with authority, who would follow him anywhere. And there are others who are suspicious. And they are looking for opportunities to say, see, I told you there's something wrong with this man, Jesus. Look at him. He eats with tax collectors. So they come to Jesus' disciples and ask, Why does Jesus, your rabbi, this man you follow, eat with such people? He claims to be a rabbi. A rabbi would never eat with sinners. And Jesus overhears the murmuring. He hears the talk. And he comes to them, and he says two things. One, it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And the other, he gives a homework assignment to. And I'm going to pass that homework assignment along to us. Consider the words of Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus calls them back to Hosea. I desire the Hebrew word, which I'm just going to transliterate because I don't want to try to speak Hebrew this morning, is chesad. It is the word that is translated as faithfulness, loyalty, mercy, kindness, righteousness, faithfulness, and Jesus says, quotes that to them, and they say, Jesus, I don't understand. These tax collectors you eat with, they're not merciful, faithful, kind. They're the opposite of all these things. They are not sick that need a doctor, they're wicked people that need to be shown for their wickedness. They are not like Daniel, who was faithful when Babylon came in and took Israel in exile. He is not like Elijah, who boldly, as God's prophet, confronted the prophets of Baal. They are not like Hosea, who penned these words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, living on the margins. They aren't sick people, they're collaborators, they're evil. And yet, Jesus quotes to them, I desire chassid, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, kindness, loyalty, faithfulness. I desire covenantal loyalty. I want you to acknowledge that God desires mercy. These sacrifices, these rituals are all helpful when they form and shape you into people of mercy. But the goal of those things, the goal of those activities is to become people that show and demonstrate mercy, faithfulness. The covenant I made with you through the law, your job is to use the law to show faithfulness. Imagine my wife, Lindsay and I, on our first date would have been I don't now I have to do the math. 22 and a half years ago. Imagine waiters going and whispering, look at that cute couple over there on table 11. <laughs> look at the way he looks at her. Look at the way he defers to her. Look at their conversation. They can't keep their eyes off of each other. They, there's nobody else in the restaurant but one another to these two little cuties. Look at them. It's beautiful. And I'm sitting there and I'm staring across at the person who will eventually be my wife, and I say, Lindsay, what do you want, more than anything? What from me, what what can I give you? And she says, you know, what I really love is a bouquet of, of roses and a handwritten note. And I filed that away, okay. 22 years later, marriage settles in, and let's say I am a very unfaithful husband. I flirt with other women. It's obviously unreciprocated. Let's say I I disappear for three days at a time. I don't call. I don't text. I turn off my phone. She has no idea where I am. And I come home one day and open the door after a three-day bender, and I have got flowers on one hand and a handwritten note in the other, and I say, hi, sweetie, I'm home. And she grabs the flower and the note, and she throws it on the ground dramatically. And I say, what's the problem? What you said you loved was flowers and a note. I gave you both of these things. I don't understand why we have a problem. And she might say to me, I desire mercy, not flowers. What I want from you is faithfulness, kindness, attentiveness, You can't bring me flowers and think that that's going to undo all the other things. And she'd be right. This is, and I want to say this strongly, a hypothetical situation. (laughs) None of this has happened. (laughs) That's part of the point of this is, of course, this is a ridiculous analogy. But in this very hypothetical situation, she would be right. These external things that I told you at one point are important to me only matter to me If they're part of a larger desire for you to love me, to be attentive to me, to be mindful of me, to show mercy, to have what Hosea calls an unwavering loyalty to me, that is what I desire. And I will not be bought off with some flowers. What God is saying through his prophet, what Jesus is saying to his critics is show mercy. That's what God desires. He doesn't want burnt offerings. He's got plenty of cattle. He's got them all. They're all his already. What God wants is our loyalty to honor our covenant. You know, one of my friends a, a few years ago, um, he broke his marriage vows. And it was a very obviously difficult time. And we did not know if his marriage was going to make it through this. Um, but it did. It is took a lot of work, it was very humbling, particularly for him, but they made it. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because she showed him mercy. She forgave over a long period of time of regaining that trust, that that the way he'd broken his vows, she had an open door to leave. He, He made a huge mistake, here's the door. And what she chose to do was to stay behind, to show mercy, to be faithful to him even when he wasn't. And just so we don't oversimplify things, he was deeply repentant and sorry and did a lot of work to regain and earn her trust back. Right now, they're somewhere sitting next to each other in church together, madly in love with one another. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I know that God delights in that. Because what God wants and what God desires is mercy. And I hope as they sit there in worship this morning, they can have some sense of God's joy. Because God does not delight in the fact that they're in church, that's great. God delights in that they're in church together, showing mercy to one another. You know, it's the last Sunday of the year, as has been pointed out. And this is the time of year, I was really struck by Sean, Pastor Sean's question about a year ago, we sat on the cusp of 2023. We had time to reflect on 2022, anticipate what this year would bring to us. And I know as you look back over this year, there were some unexpected surprises some really wonderful days and some great things that happened. There was, I'm sure, unexpected loss and grief. Every year holds surprises, some that we can plan for and anticipate, some that simply come our way unwelcome. And what I think about is in 2024 on December 31st, as I look over the year, if I could travel through time And come to to me right now and say, John, this year I want you to, what do you think that would be? You know, I've, as a minister, had the sacred privilege of sitting with people as they faced their own death. And I've never heard somebody say in that moment, I wish I'd spent more time at work. I'm glad that I passively, aggressively punished my children for things they never were able to quite figure out what they'd done wrong. You know, we all, as we look over the life, think to ourselves, what I long for is reconciliation. I want, This this is what I honestly hear more than anything else. I wish the people I love knew how much I love them. I wish they had some sense of how important and meaningful that they were. And now that I look back over the survey of my life with reflection, what I find is, I'm glad, it's fine that nobody published my novel that's sitting on my laptop. I am retired. When I retired, I built what I built. In the end, what truly matters are relationships, not the things that divided us. I think that John, a year from now, would say to me, John, make God first. Make your family second, those those whom you love. As a pastor, don't emphasize your sermons. Emphasize your connection to people. Let them know how much you care about them, how important they are to you. That make the important thing the important thing. That as Jesus said, I am a doctor looking for those who are sick. And I'm asking you to contemplate God delights in mercy, not sacrifice. As we stand in the glow of Christmas morning, as the Christ candle burns for one more Sunday, remember that chesed, mercy, took flesh, lived among us, and invites people like you and me to his feast. As this new year begins, I want to carry this thought Together as a church family. What God desires is mercy, not sacrifice. And my prayer for us for the year 2024 is that it's a year of mercy. Let's pray together this year. Fathers, we come one last Sunday to worship you. We thank you for 2023. We're here, we made it. Thank you for your faithfulness and the good things that came our way. Thank you for your faithfulness in walking us through grief and loss and all that it held. Lord, you've been good to us. And as we anticipate this coming year, may it be a year of mercy. May we be mindful of you and that you desire mercy, faithfulness, loyalty, not sacrifice. We pray that we would be a merciful people in your son's name. Amen.